Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. A special week this week. Two shows for the Super Bowl later this week. Going to be talking about X's and O's. But today, joining me to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation and picking our player props for the Super Bowl is a guy you may have heard of from The Athletic. His name is Robert Mays joining me to talk about the Super Bowl today, Robert Mays in a second. But before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly remind you that we have a brand new ESPN podcast. You know about First Take, but how about First Take Her Take? The new podcast is hosted by Charlie Arnold, Kimberly Martin, and Chine Ogumike. They discuss and debate the biggest sports stories and delve into topics about their lives and culture. Subscribe, rate, and review First Take, Her Take, and of course, The Bill Barnwell Show as well, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's Robert Mays talking about Sean Watson and the upcoming Super Bowl. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be all right joining me today on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, a regular contributor to the show, a podcaster in his own right, and my friend, it's Robert Mays. Mays, how are you? I'm doing well, buddy. Did you actually promise this, or did you just allude to it in a kind of opaque way on Twitter by referencing Metallica? Well, I did that, but also I'm going to <laughs> uh, record an introduction to the show later on where I ah, okay, I, where okay. I, I, I hint that my guest <laughs> is uh, a, a former podcasting colleague of mine. It's the magic of behind the scenes audio. I don't know. You you record your podcast straight through, like it's a uh, like a, a, a single scene from a film. From oh scene. God, I, I wish that were true. Yeah, I'm doing the uh, what's who's the the cinematographer for all of the Inuritu movies? I can never remember his <laughs> name. It's the uh, his nickname is the Goats, but I can I can never remember. It's in Spanish, but I can never remember his actual name. That's where we're at, though. Yeah, I. Uh, it's all one take for me. Absolutely not. It's not how it is whatsoever. Yeah, and in Aridu uh, referenced 30 seconds into the podcast. Um, people are going to be hitting their Barnwell Mays uh, <laughs> podcast props. Um, but we have our own props to talk about today on the show. We're going to talk about Super Bowl props in a minute. First, Mays, I just want to have a clearinghouse segment here. I just have a certain block of time set aside. Don't know how we're going to frame it. Don't know how we're going to structure it. What's happened here? with the Sean Watson. Let's just start there when it comes to discussing everything that has gone wrong here. Just how did we get here? I mean, I don't know the exact details of the behind the scenes stuff and if there was a breaking point moment or whatever. I just am more thinking about it in terms of how ridiculous and how unprecedented it is for a team to alienate a 25-year-old MVP caliber quarterback. Like one of the best five quarterbacks in the league, even right now, I would say, if you're looking at quarterbacks as assets, he's probably the second most valuable one in the league. Wouldn't you say that's fair? Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable that a franchise would somehow arrive at this point. Like how many mistakes you'd have to make, how many wrong turns you'd have to make, how many 
screwed up priorities and screwed up just kind of stacking of those priorities you would Mm -hmm. have to go through. It's truly remarkable that a team has alienated one of the two or three most valuable players in the entire NFL. Here's the part that seems so strange to me. It is, it's one thing to make a bad trade and making the Hopkins trade, even Deshaun Watson said, Hey, that had me at a two and it was a bad trade. I mean, let's not pretend on its face, the moment it happened, everybody did not think it was a bad trade because it was. And that's fine. That's one thing. To alienate the most important player in your organization in this way, to repeatedly make him feel like he's not part of the process when it comes to improving this football team, like you have to go above and beyond. Like you could just be a bad organization and you could be the Lions, for example, with Matthew Stafford. And you could just maybe after a decade of not contending, of making bad decisions when it comes to your coaches, um, to making bad free agent signings, you could make him feel like he's has a better hope of winning elsewhere. That's one thing. But again, this is a guy who signed an extension to stay here a year ago. And, you know, by all accounts was a very valued member of the team, was happy, was, you know, obviously still had to do with the Hopkins trade, but was not like Deshaun Watson was about to leave a year ago. And I think what this really put in context for me is we always talk about how important it is to have the right coach, have the right GM. When we talk about Josh Allen, it comes up over and over again about how you have to have the right infrastructure for a quarterback to succeed. Same thing with Lamar Jackson. And I think it's 100% true. We don't talk about how important it is to have an owner who's not going to just screw things up for you royally. And as we get to a league where owners are less and less likely to sell and more teams are run by the sons and daughters of people who happen to own the team to begin with, like there's going to be a pretty wide variance in terms of people who know what they're doing and people who are totally incompetent. And I wrote about this when Bill O'Brien got fired, um, a guy who I thought made a bunch of terrible decisions as a GM, but shouldn't have been fired after four games this year. I mean, it just seems like Cal McNair has absolutely no idea what he's doing. There have been so many kind of pop culture references as they associate, as they like are associated with Jack Easterby in this entire situation. I want to yeah. say in the sports illustrated article that Jenny Vernetis and Greg Bishop wrote, somebody compared him to little finger. Like in, to me, it's almost like Theoden in, uh, in Lord of the Rings, where you just have like worm tongue, like in his ear with the brainwashing, like that's what it feels like. It just like he's almost like Cal McNair's eyes have glazed over, and he's just this mouthpiece for whatever Jack Easterby has wanted the organization to do over the last year. And I just cannot believe a professional football organization that has a guy like Deshaun Watson is being run like this. And that's one thing that I think I've come to appreciate more as I've reported on the league and been around the league and done this for a little bit longer is truly how important ownership is and how much it matters. And I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about Watson going to the jets possibly. And they were just like, he's not going to the jets. Mm. Like if it's up to him, he's just not going to the jets. And this is somebody who I think would, you know, have a decent idea of how possible that might be. And I was just thinking, you know, well, they have a new coach and it's a new regime and they seem to be doing a decent job there, but, the stink that follows these teams because of ownership Mm -hmm. is real and and it should be real. I mean, there are so many times where you just have these organizations and and I think that you and I are both analytically bent to the point that 
a team is this thing. And like, if you wear that Jersey and that organization, you know, like the Browns are the Browns, that kind of stuff. Sure. And I, I scoff at a lot of that usually, but there are times if the ownership group is the same where that stuff really does matter. And it really does not only have an impact on perception, but it has an impact on how things actually go. And I think this is the greatest example that we've seen in that, you know what? I remember when they were making some of those moves and I think I, you and I both hated pretty much every single move they made over the sure. last year. Sure. And I remember saying on our podcast, previewing the AFC South, I did it with Stephen Holder before the season. And I said, I just don't want to be in a place six months from now, a year from now, where we're figuring out how to, dis- how to save Deshaun Watson. And we're talking about how much they're wasting Deshaun Watson. Somehow, it was worse than that, <laughs> which I just could have never imagined an outcome where it would have been worse than us trying to devise some Ocean's Eleven type scheme to get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. He's the one doing it now. That is how bad that it got. And I just don't think even if you were pessimistic about the plan, the direction, everything else that the Texans were taking, I don't know if anyone could have imagined that it would have gotten this bad because no. it never has been. No, I mean, this doesn't happen. I will say, I want to ask you about trade destinations. You brought up the Jets, but before we do that, very briefly, how bad do you feel for David Culley in this situation? I do feel kind of bad for him. Like, I, I think he knew when he accepted the job that this was happening, but even so. It's one of those things where you know, I think that I've been pretty open about the fact that if I were hiring a head coach, I would hire a play calling offensive head coach that had been successful in that role. Just because I just think it's the easiest way to sustain success. There are plenty of examples of guys not in that role that have succeeded. But I think that if you're just trying to give yourself the best chance to find the next great coach, Mm -hmm. if we're going all about ceiling, that's the direction that I would go. But I just think they need someone to stop the bleeding there. And they just need someone who's going to come in and be someone who can redirect the culture a little bit. And Mm -hmm. by all accounts, David Coley is that sort of person, even if he doesn't fit the bill of the hotshot coaches that we've seen so far, but it's Mm -hmm. still, he's being put into a really tough situation. I mean, I don't think if you're the Texans, your goal with your next head coach should have been finding the next great head coach. I think it should have been someone that can come in and just fix this to some degree. And I think that might've informed why they went in a slightly different direction, but I mean, he is not set up to succeed. I think we can definitively say that. I'm happy he got a five-year deal because yeah, this does not feel him. like th- this is the, I would say maybe since Jim Tomsala was the last time I felt like someone hired a coach where I felt like the chances of him being the coach in the year two were less than 50%. And I, you didn't feel that way about Adam Gase. No, strangely not. And I didn't in the moment, but about six months in, I was like, Oh, this is a terrible idea. Right. 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 Exactly. Where like it fluctuated where like once they started, once the Darnold game happened on Monday night football, I was like, okay, this guy is going home very quickly. But then they had a winning streak at the end of the year against terrible competition. And that fooled the jets. Um, it, I'm actually happy you brought up the jets because I want to bring up them first when it comes to possible destinations for Watson. Here is something I don't understand, and I would love for you to try and explain it to me. I know you brought it up a little bit, but there are three parties here who have to be satisfied. The Jets, or or the team acquiring Deshaun Watson, has to feel like they're getting a good deal, and they're getting a valuable quarterback, which I think we can all say Deshaun Watson is. The team who is, or the Texans who are trading Deshaun Watson, have to feel like they're getting good value in return. And Deshaun Watson, who has a no-trade clause, has to feel like he's going to the right place. When it comes to a Jets-Texans trade, I can see why the Texans would want to trade with the Jets because the Jets have really valuable draft picks, including the second overall selection. 
I can see why the Jets would want Deshaun Watson because he's really good at football. I don't understand why Deshaun Watson would want to go from the most dysfunctional franchise in football to the second most dysfunctional franchise in football and do so on a team that has no receiving talent of any note. Maybe Denzel Mims works out, but this is a bottom five group of receivers. They have a great young left tackle in Mekhi Becton, but very little else along their offensive line. I mean, this is not an ideal situation for any quarterback to go to, let alone someone who wants to win. So why are we doing this Jets thing? Like, is it for Robert Sala, a coach who Deshaun Watson, to my knowledge, has never worked with? Like, is that really enough? I think that it's just through the grapevine type stuff, the ways that other players have talked about him. How much do you buy into that? Is he going to be somebody who can redirect the atmosphere in that building enough where it becomes a place that players want to go? And that's the argument, is that he can become somebody who can attract players to go there. Uh, but we don't have any reason to believe that that's a definitive thing yet. It's just what guys like Richard Sherman have said about him. I, when I'm thinking about the Jets situation, and when I was kind of pumping up their future and their outlook, which I have been over the last year compared to teams like Chicago or Philadelphia, teams like that, it was because they had all these assets. But if you trade for Deshaun Watson, you have far fewer assets yeah. with which to bulk up your roster. I mean, think so they have two extra first round picks from the Jamal Adams trade. Mm-hmm. They have a ton of cap space. But if they trade for Watson, his cap hit this year, I think, is only like 10 million or so. But yeah, so that's low. yeah, that's not that bad. But you trade, let's say, three of those first round picks, which is throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Now you have your draft capital is far less. And in 2022, Watson's cap hit is like more than $30 million. So now your cap situation that looked so rosy is far less attractive and you can bring in far fewer players. So I have faith in their ability to remake the roster with the resources they have right now. But if mm-hmm. they trade a bunch of those resources to get Sean Watson, then it's an entirely different consideration. I think you're better off still with Deshaun Watson than those resources, but I'm not sure Deshaun Watson would feel that way. Right. And you would figure Deshaun Watson is going to have other options besides the New York Jets. I, I understand this is a market where Matthew Stafford is going to be available. Um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be available, but there's going to be options. There are going to be teams who want to trade for Deshaun Watson. So Maze, I want to give you, I want to you to answer two questions here. We'll go one at a time. Who do you think will actually acquire Deshaun Watson if Deshaun Watson is traded by the Houston Texans? The Dolphins. The Dolphins. Is it just that simple? That's my favorite one. I think he would be interested in going there. I think that they could easily do it with the assets that they have. And I actually was looking at it because I was, wasn't was sure what their financial setup was because of how much money they spent in free agency last mm-hmm. year. I was like, can they comfortably fit him? And I, we all know the salary cap is fake, but I just mm-hmm. mean comfortably, can they fit him? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Yes. So this year they're, they're kind of tied up against it. But in 2022, I mean, even with all those contracts they signed, they have so many young players on rookie contracts that they could comfortably fit into Sean Watson and still surround him with a couple players. So mm-hmm. I think there are very few barriers to the Dolphins acquiring Deshaun Watson outside of whatever message it's going to send to your building that you drafted a guy in the top five and then traded him. I think that becomes easier when everyone on that roster and in that locker room saw how much better the offense was with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. Yeah. Also, like they watch football too. Like the show Watson's good. Yes. <laughs> it's not like that's not like a subtle thing where you're gonna have to get there and be like, oh, you know, like like you know, getting a new coach where it's like, oh, okay, I had to see how this offense was gonna work, and it took six months. Or you know, a, a new sports science guy. Like 
everyone knows Deshaun Watson is good. Like he's going to be better than Tua Tango Vailoa was last year. I mean, I think that's look, that, that's one of the easiest things I think to see or easiest things to sell to a team is, hey, we're going to upgrade massively at quarterback with a guy who, by the way, it's not like this is Jeff George or somebody like Deshaun Watson is beloved in the organization oh, yes. and seemingly with the Houston Texans locker room. Like it's not even a question of like, oh, this guy might be abrasive or it might be a Jake Cutler, for example, where he's just a guy who Thanks. I knew that was coming. It's the wrong way. Like, you know, I wanted to, you're the one who said the cap was fake. And I've spent at least 20% of my life, at least devoting my, my columns to cap issues. So I had to get you back a little bit for that one. Now I was, I was having a conversation with an executive this week about mm-hmm. the Stafford trade and of a potential Stratford trade. And it was framed to me as similar to the Cutler trade, except it's a guy that people like. <laughs> Which I was, I very much enjoyed that. I mean, it's going to be two first round picks for Stafford, right? You think it's that much, huh? Well, wasn't Cutler two first round picks and, and our friend Kyle Orton? Would you trade? <laughs> our good buddy Kyle Orton. Yeah. Would, would you trade two first round picks for Matthew Stafford? I think so. I think I, I would too. I, I think if you need a quarterback and you're the Broncos, for example, and you've done, you spent five years uh, wasting your time after Peyton Manning retired, trying to find a quarterback. I, I think you'd probably consider it. I mean, you know, you're going to have to that's, redo his deal. I think that's the one thing, but you can get that done. I think you'd have to redo his deal just to give him some guaranteed money up front. I'm not sure you'd have to pump up those cap numbers significantly higher. Than no, no, right but, but he, he has two years left in his contract. And if you're trading for him and you're giving up two first round picks, you're doing a new deal after this year anyway. So why not get this deal done now and then get it done as part of the contract so you don't have to worry about him having more leverage a year from now? Yeah, but I I think that that's something where even if you're giving him some new money and some guaranteed money, it's not the contract is still attractive in dealing for him. I think that the price you eventually pay for him is fine. I think the two first round picks things make, make sense for a team like Denver. And that's why my gut feeling is that even if the Colts are a really reasonable destination, mm-hmm. I don't think Chris Ballard is going to get into a bidding war over Matthew Stafford. What? And that's why I think that, oh no, I think it, my gut feeling tells me another team is going to be willing to spend more than the Colts are to acquire Matthew Stafford. But what are they going to do at quarterback maze? I, I, tr- I trust me, man. It's a great question, <laughs> but I, it's a totally reasonable question, but I just think that if you look at his history and the way that he's done things, he has a line in the sand with these things and he does not cross it. And I, I'd be surprised if another team is willing to give up two first round picks, if he's willing to give up two first round picks, that would surprise I, me. I had over one and a half on it's a great questions in this podcast. So forget <laughs> it. We're getting there. The live line, the live line is now two and a half. I'm uh, feeling pretty good about my, it's a great question prop, but one more question about the Sean Watson, and then we'll move on and talk about Super Bowl props. I asked you where you think he is going to go. Throw that aside. In terms of where you would most enjoy seeing him go. You know the answer to this. Leave the Bears aside. That's another question. No, it's not the Bears. It's not the Bears. I wouldn't want to do that to him. I also don't think he would go there. Okay, good. Now. It's the Niners. I agree, right? Doesn't it make the most sense? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm the world's most vocal Kyle Shanahan supporter and apologist. Like I, we, I, we said this yesterday when Steven Ruiz was talking about the offense and how it's propped guys up. Mm-hmm. There have been two significantly above average quarterbacks in the last like five years or the last 10 years that have played in this style of offense in the Shanahan style of offense. Both of them won the MVP award and Ryan Tannehill, who I wouldn't put in that class 
has been one of the three most efficient quarterbacks in the league on a per pay basis over the last two years. Mm -hmm. I think Deshaun Watson would be pretty good in that system. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I would you do that though if you're the Niners and it is three first round picks? Would you 100% no questions asked every single time? Wow. Okay. You're going to have to make some sacrifice. Like, you're not signing Trent Williams if you do that though, probably. That's maybe you are. You'd rather. Trent, we're talking about Trent Williams here, Mace. This is talking a, about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Okay, I well, I would give up in a vacuum. I think if you really sat back and thought about the value, if if you truly wanted to think about it that way, I think he's worth way more than three first round picks. I don't disagree with you. I you know I you know I love picks, but I like the whole point of having an NFL franchise is to hopefully, maybe once every 30 years, get somebody as good as Deshaun Watson. That's exactly right. <laughs> like, like if, if you don't have a guy like that, you're pretty much wasting your time. And That's exactly I, right. I, I have heard from Browns fans in the past few days who think Baker Mayfield is better than Deshaun Watson. I'm sorry. I think Baker Mayfield is a very nice uh, young quarterback. He is not as good as Deshaun Watson. I've heard from Chargers fans who have said Justin Herbert is better than Deshaun Watson. I think Justin Herbert had an awesome rookie season. He is not Deshaun Watson. I'm just sorry. It just doesn't work like that. There's like, Those are two different considerations to me. Oh, even for, if, sure. for sure. Even if Justin Herbert isn't as good as Deshaun Watson now, which of course he's not, I, I would be more hesitant about trading a ton of capital and Justin Herbert than I would about Baker Mayfield just because I think Justin Herbert's ceiling is almost unlimited as a quarterback he's so much more talented than pretty much every other quarterback in the league not named Patrick Mahomes Josh and Josh Allen like the guy has so much ability I'm very excited about where he could go he's great but having Deshaun Watson a surefire like as, as close to a guarantee of great quarterback play for if you keep him happy probably for the next decade like it's just it's you that doesn't come around that's it why I think if happen. you gave away five first-round picks, you'd never think about it again. So would you do the Herschel Walker trade for Deshaun Watson? What was it? Uh, it was like, what was the trade? It was they, it was weird because like they traded for a bunch of players, and if they cut the players, the the like they turned into first-round picks as if they weren't going to just cut the players and get a bunch of first-round picks. It was four players, a one, a two, a six, a one, a two, a one, a two, and a three. So three first-rounders, two second-rounders, a third-rounder, and four players for Herschel Walker, yes. a three, a five, a 10, and a three. Yes. It de- would depend on where the picks are. Well, you don't but, get to make, you don't get to know where that is until well, you, you know, you know where your first round pick, you know where the first one is. Right. But if you have to Sean Watson, there's a decent chance, not, not obviously a guarantee because we saw this year, but if you have to Sean Watson, there's a decent chance that those picks aren't going to be very high in the first round. That's what I'm saying though. But if, if in year one, if you're Miami, you know, you're giving away the third overall pick. Sure. I think that changes the calculus because that gives a team another chance to get their quarterback the first year. Sure. They're so not I think that would, that would play percent. into it. But if you're yeah. the Niners and you probably picking pretty late, I, I, I would go to four. I think five would be a really big ask, but I, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. I think four is fair. If you think about what other guys have gone for in the league, like Laramie Tunsil and Jamal Adams and Jamal and Jalen Ramsey went for two first round picks. Like if you're thinking about it in a vacuum, Deshaun Watson is twice as valuable as all of those players. Like, absolutely he is. Dude, I, I feel bad for Laramie Tunsil now, too. I mean, 
you know, escaped a, a tank in Miami. They get great after he leaves. Now he goes to Houston and Deshaun Watson's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go now. And Larry Tunsil's going to be blocking for, I don't even know, who who's going to be the Texans quarterback next year? Two in Tagovailoa. <laughs> I, oh boy. Poor Tua. Just, it's such a mess. Just, just It'd be the quarterback competition between Tua and Justin Fields. That's what we're going to get. Oh, yeah. I guess that's not out of the question. Okay. We need to get to the Super Bowl props. I sent you a list from William Hill yesterday. And I said, here's $1,000. Pick a bunch of props. How many did you pick? I picked a lot. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I, I, I have more than a dozen. More than a dozen. I... I, I have like spreading none. it around. Sure, but do you have do you do you have a general plan, or is it just like anything that? Oh interested no! You, you oh, anything that interested me. I anything that interested me. Some of them play into one another. By the way, like overall game flow. By the way, I want to point out in the email I sent to to Robert Mays. Uh, let's say you get a thousand dollars and can invest it in a bunch of props between five and ten. Oh shit! I didn't notice. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that part. You just got too excited. Your, your eyes, your, your eyes just focus on the thousands of props available at William Hill. So my, bro- gonna- my brother's gotten really into sports betting, but he's oh, very no. cheap. So he'll send me like his list of bets from a college basketball Saturday. And there's like 40 bets, but it's all like $4 a bet. That's great. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. That's, I- kind of, that's my strategy. I also responded to that email saying I can waste a thousand dollars with the best of them. I was more <laughs> concerned about that. Well, we will see. Um, I, I, I'll, I will hopefully have someone keep track of these bets. I'm going to let you know how we did. But since you have so many more than me, I have nine. I will let you go first. And if you find opportunities to double up, please go ahead. So let's double up here. So I have $50 on Gronk to score a touchdown okay. at plus 175 and $50 on Gronk to catch the first pass for the Bucks at 15 to 2. Interesting. Uh, I just think that it, it's you – know, we know Tom Brady goes to the guys he trusts – you know, they've made so many big plays on a big stage. I know that's silly and kind of emotional, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they look to him in the red zone. They have a lot this season. And then the first pass, I actually did the research on this. If you look at the targets to Bucks players on the first possession of a game, mm-hmm. uh, he, I think, has gotten eight targets on the first possession of a game. The next close, the only guys with more are Godwin with 10 and Evans with four, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the odds for Evans and Godwin, 15 to two is much better math than what you're, I think Evans is three to one. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's value there for Gronk when considering the fact that they have looked to him early on first possessions in the past. This is great. Cause I also did research on what happens early in games for these two teams. And I went with Patrick Mahomes' first pass will be completed. Yes. Minus one ninety for a hundred dollars. The implied odds there are 65 and a half percent. Went back and looked through Patrick Mahomes' career. He has completed his first pass in games. 37 out of 52 times for 72%. And I think that this is a you game. You actually did a lot of work here. Well, I, I only did half the bets. I only did half the bets. So that's I actually fair. went and I put twice as much work into each bet. The thing I would say about this game that, that's going to come to mind for me over and over again is there is a mismatch here between the Chiefs tackles with Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz out and Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul on the edge for the Buccaneers. And we saw early on in the game against the Browns with Miles Garrett. That was going to be a mismatch against Mike Remmers, who is a backup and wasn't feeling well but even before the game. One of the first things they did was ran a, uh, a, a tap pass past Miles Garrett. 
Now, Miles Garrett made the tackle 40 yards downfield, which is crazy. But number one, you just had Miles Garrett run 40 yards. And number two, you didn't have to block him because you were just running that tab pass or a jet sweep past him. So I wouldn't be shocked if that was the first thing the Chiefs ran to try and slow down those two edge rushers if they ran in a bunch during the game. And I think they're going to give Patrick Mahomes an easy pass to get him in the flow of things. He has been a guy who in the past in big games in the playoffs has struggled early on. I think that makes total sense. And if you go back to the first game these two teams played, they ran that wheel RPO to Tyreek Hill on the first play of the game, which is an explosive play, but it's also a pretty high percentage throw. So I'll stick with something kind of related to that okay. in terms of getting some easy touches for guys. The Chiefs, I love this one. I had $50 on over four and a half Chiefs players with a rushing attempt. It's okay. minus 160. Who and similar players? idea. So yeah, I was thinking about it. So let's say it's, Mahomes gets one or two. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Bell, CHE, uh, maybe another running back. And then if Hardman and Hill both get one. Sure. So I absolutely could see more than four and a half guys getting one. I, I just think that they're going to try to do some of that. And one of the best ways to neutralize edge rushers is to not block them on some of those perimeter runs. So I, I, that's also just a fun thing to root for. And I could see them trying to get some easy ones in this game because of that. When we look back at this like Chiefs era, is it going to be weird that every year they sign one formerly famous running back who is not part of the offense by the time it gets to the playoffs at all? I don't think it's going to be weird at all because I think that it's going to be similar to what the Patriots did where you have guys that are ring chasing yeah. and you get some of these big guys at the bigger name guys at the end of their career looking to try to get one. And that's how you end up with big names on some of these teams. Is that guy going to be Todd Gurley in 2021? I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's just sad that Todd Gurley, who I think is like 27 years old, is now old by this scenario. That's, we, we have a long conversation about the decline <laughs> of running backs if you want to. No, I don't. I do that enough already. Um, I'm going to go to a guy who I think is not going to have a big role on the back of the Chiefs roster. I have Byron Pringle <laughs> under 18 and a half receiving yards for 100 bucks. I, I think Sammy Watkins is going to be back in this game. And when Sammy Watkins has been on the field, Byron Pringle has one catch all season. So I think they're going to go deep at wide receiver. I think they're going to have some opportunities to make plays. Wouldn't surprise me if they go with a lot of empty and spread the bucks out and try and get, you know, uh, try and force the bucks to not have so many players under center. But I don't think that Byron Pringle is going to have a big role. Now, granted, this is the exact sort of prop where he hits one catch for 40 yards and I feel like a real idiot, but I think it's going to get like 10 snaps in this game. This is, this entire exchange is just a microcosm of how you and I think about the world. 100%. Like the fact that you're going to be sitting there rooting against Byron Pringle receptions <laughs> in the Super Bowl is just so perfect. Chef's kiss, amazing. It's exactly what I would expect from you. You know, Byron, Byron Pringle's had enough, right? This is, it's finally time to push back on Byron Pringle. The hype is overwhelming. And I feel like we need to just settle our opinions of Byron Pringle as a society. So you, you want me to put a nice little exclamation point on this? Here's my next one. Scotty Miller over 21 and a half receiving yards. I put 50 bucks on that. I think Scotty gets one long one in this game. One chunk play for Scotty. Wouldn't be surprising though. I mean, I feel like whenever he's on the field, he makes plays happen. Scotty's athletic, man. I was my high school football coach. I was talking to him this week about, Scotty Miller went to my high school. I don't, this is something that people that listen to my podcast would know. I'm sure a lot of people don't. So it's been fun to kind of watch him do this. And you know, my high school football coach has been very excited. And we've been talking about it. It's, he's the first 
player from my high school to play in the Super Bowl since Gary Fensick. So it's, it's a big moment for us. Air safety, Gary Fensick. That's right. Um, okay, I will go with one that helps inform a couple of things that I did elsewhere. And this is just brazenly stolen from Jack Miller on Twitter, who is Jack Miller 2 um, I'm going to read his tweet here. Basically, using the props at Bovada and Bet Online, the inference is that the Chiefs are very, very likely to defer if they win the toss. And the Bucks are not very likely to win the toss if they defer. But because the Chiefs are so incredibly likely to defer, the Bucks have a 67.4% chance of winning or, or, or of taking the ball first, regardless of who wins the coin toss. So I have $100 on the Bucks to receive the opening kickoff at plus 110. That seems like stealing. It, uh, maybe the math is totally off, but I believe that the math is reasonable. And I'm going to, e- even your dog wants to get in on this action. And that, Molly, I don't Molly, is, Molly is very excited. She does not have, she's not very liquid right now, unfortunately. So <laughs> oh, is she mostly, she's mostly invested in Dogecoin? Yeah, she's, she's got a lot of money on paper, but um, got to make some moves. So I have a couple bets based off of that, sort of hinting towards that in a minute, but give me another one of yours. I had 50 bucks on will an interception be thrown in the first quarter. It's plus 200. Okay. I think that we could see some back and forth in this game. I think it's going to be really wide open. I think we're going to see a ton of passing attempts on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brady has thrown a few. I mean, you think oh, about yeah. not even beyond last week. I mean, it's just, it's not beyond Brady being a little bit more turnover prone this year than he's been. It's just the type of offense. I mean, we have these two vertical downfield chunk play type offenses and you have aggressive defenses. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely could see some kind of big swinging plays on both sides of the ball. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happened early. I would hundred percent could see Brady giving the chiefs one under pressure early in the game. If they try to turn up the heat. And I think you have two defensive coordinators who have two weeks to prepare stuff and are going to have things totally. that they weren't showing on film coming into this game. And, and yep. I think that, you know, would it be shocking if, if Tom threw one to a spot where he wasn't expecting a Chiefs defender to be? And hey, look, there's Tyron Matthew ready to pick a pass off. Um, okay, a big bet for me, $200 on this one. Wow. The first play from scrimmage will not result in a first down at minus 240. Here's, I saw here's, that one too. Here's the bet. So the implied probability here is 70.6%. Went back through... The past couple of years, the Chiefs were at 68.3% of the time where their first play did not turn into a first down. The Bucs are at 88.8%. The Bucs, for some reason, every first they down. They the ball every time. They hand the ball to Leonard Fournette for four yards. <laughs> yes. So combined, they had a 77.7% chance. And you're thinking the Bucs had the ball first. And I think the Bucs had the ball first. I might even go yeah. to 80%. So I think there's some pretty big value there. So I'm going $200 in that. It's first play from scrimmage. Will not result in a first down. Now, granted, in the past, I have bet on there not being a safety. And by the end of the first possession, as I sat in the press box in Indianapolis, I saw Tom Brady <laughs> <laughs> throw intentionally out of ground, uh, intentionally ground the ball out of his own end zone for safety, which was heartbreaking and at the time uh, financially ruinous to me. But it's two hundred dollars. Doesn't work out. I can afford it. But I think we're going to see a run for like three yards in the first play. Uh, all right. So my next one here. I was back and forth on this one because I think there are a few different considerations to take into account. But I had $100 on Patrick Mahomes under five and a half rushing attempts. Okay. 
And so if you look back, the, the only time he's had more than five rushing attempts since week six is against the Saints in December. He had seven. And that would make sense, right? Saints play a ton of two-man, super aggressive man coverage. That's the type of game where he'd be able to take off and do some work with his legs. The Bucs have played a ton more press man coverage in the last couple of weeks than they had played in the past. And then I think they've really made a lot of hay with that sort of approach and being more aggressive on defense. It's something like 45% of their snaps compared to like 20% before the last two weeks. I also think that's a product of the types of receiving cores they've gone against the last two weeks. The only guy that they're really afraid of in that type of approach is Devontae Adams, and they were bracketing him pretty much the whole game. That's much less safe when you're playing against this Chiefs team. So mm-hmm. one, I expect to see less man coverage from Tampa than we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Two, I still think Mahomes is dealing with that toe. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that he's going to be looking to take off as much as he would in a typical game. And if we're seeing less man, that only gets compounded. Mm-hmm. So I just think there are a lot of different factors pointing to the idea that he will not run more than five times in this game. I agree. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, how can I put this? I think Andy Reid has guts. Like I just, is he really going to call another speed option with Mahomes? Exactly. It's not, it's always going to be out of structure. And I think just making something happen if he's going to be running. And I just don't think that those situations present themselves that often. And also there was a Patrick Mahomes rushing touchdown prop that was attracted to me for that exact same reason. I just don't see him taking off or them calling any runs down there the way they typically would have at certain points during the season. Unrelated to props. Can I ask you another question about Patrick Mahomes running? You certainly might. Uh, How far downfield do you think Patrick Mahomes could attempt a pump fake and defenders would go for it? Is that a, that's a Russell Wilson thing. Russell Wilson would be like 12 yards past the line of scrimmage and people will jump. Uh, Incredible. It's like, it's so mesmerizing. I'm, I like, I, I just, I would spam it every single time if I were one of those two guys. I really like, and the Rogers had the Leonard Floyd one too in the, in the playoff game, even though yes. that was behind the line of scrimmage, but I really enjoy football strategies that are designed to attack human nature, even if they're illogical. And like, that's why play action works, right? That's why play action works. Even if you're not that strong of a rushing team or you don't run the ball very often, Mm -hmm. because there are some stimuli that when you present them to another human being, they have to react to it. They just, they don't have a choice. And that's why I appreciate quarterbacks that pump fake, even in situations where it's completely illogical for them to do so. It's great. It's great. Um, okay. So it's my turn. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go with a running quarterback one. I'll go Tom Brady to score the first touchdown at 22 to one. I put $20 on it because I, I don't think that the chiefs are going to run Patrick Mahomes a ton, but I do think that if we get to a sneak situation, the bucks are not going to be wasting their time. Like if you're ever going to run Tom Brady, this is the time to do it. And I think the bucks will get the ball first. I don't think they're going to score, but you know, hardly out of the question they do. Um, and if they get within the two yard line, wouldn't shock me if Tom Brady did sneak the ball. So I, you know, I think he's not the favorite to do so. I'd rather go with Leonard Fournette or I'd rather go with, um, you know, maybe Gronk or, or one of those guys. But again, 22 to one, I feel like is better odds than uh, what the actual opportunity is. That's totally fair. There are a couple of that played into that. I believe the longest touchdown of the game was over under one and a half yards. And you got value if you had gone over which so that is implies that they think there's going to be a one yard touchdown in this game. And then the 
Tom Brady rushing attempts was one and a half, correct? Was the over-under? I believe so. I, I was tempted to take the under on that, but, but chose not to. So all of those are kind of, they play into one another. All right, my biggest long shot one. Okay. I love this one. I had $50 on Chris Jones to win the MVP. Hmm. It's 125 to one. Okay, that's pretty good. That's those are really good odds. And if you think about how well he played the Super Bowl last year, sure. how well he's played in some of these really impactful games, and also just think about what logically or just picture where Chris Jones does a ton of his damage over the right guard is where he is most. See, I knew I knew you were going to pick on this poor guy. I, it's not his fault, but that's where we're at. I mean, Chris Jones has been dominant in that spot. We've seen him make tons of plays from that three technique on that side. That's where the Bucks defense is, defense is weakest. So, weakest. So I had fifty dollars on Chris Jones to win the MVP because I think those odds are really fun. I had a hundred dollars on whether Chris Jones will record a sack at plus one hundred five, and then I had a hundred dollars on the Chiefs to record the first sack. Mm. I think all of these things kind of play into one another. I also think that if you look at the numbers, the Bucks are heavily favored to record the first sack of the game. And even with those tackles out, I just think that Andy Reid is going to be so conscious of that, that they're going to do everything they can to help those guys out. I see them almost overcorrecting mm-hmm. in that way. And I just think that the chiefs are going to be able to turn up the heat and get some interior pressure. Aaron Stinney is the guy who uh, you are suggesting is going to. That's right. Cause Alex day. Kappa is hurt. That's saying. right. Alex Kappa is hurt. Aaron Stinney, who I, I characterized him previously. I believe I'm in a time show. Um, has the same name as the guy who would perform, as the country singer you don't know, who would perform at halftime of the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. At the uh, at the Packers at Lambeau right now, instead of singing the National Anthem live, obviously they have a video and it's all country singers. And they had like 12 country singers sing it, like each individual part, and then they'd go to the next one. Mm-hmm. I knew zero of the people Aww. in the video, like Aww. zero of the people. That's fair. It happens. I'm, I'm good. I'm sure they're very talented, just not, not my area of expertise. Um, let me go to this one. You talked about MVP. Perfect, uh, perfect transition. I have a relative unknown to an MVP. Guy's name is Patrick Mahomes. Oh, wow. At $100 at minus 120 to win MVP. Just because I feel like it's hard for me to imagine many scenarios where the Chiefs win this game. And Patrick Mahomes has like a really crappy game. Like, like remember when the Steelers won against the Seahawks and Ben Roethlisberger had like three nine interceptions? Of t- I believe he was nine of 21 for 123 yards. Right, with multiple interceptions. Yep. Like Patrick Mahomes is not having that game. And I, I just feel like given how high scoring this game is, how um, – I also read something by Jason Lisk on this, which, re- which reaffirmed it for me, but just in terms of how this game is likely to go – I feel like Patrick Mahomes is going to play well enough that even given even given as as good as Chris Jones will play, and I think that he was a better player in the game last year than Patrick Mahomes. I just think that we are so biased towards quarterbacks. Oh, absolutely! Mahomes has uh, an incredible advantage to win MVP if the Chiefs win this game. I, I totally agree. And the only reason I did the Chris Jones thing is just because the odds are ridiculous. Sure. I mean, I think that if you look at it, like Daniel Sorensen is like has twice as good of odds to win the MVP, which just doesn't make any sense to me. So I just thought compared to everyone else, that was out of whack. But I completely understand where you're coming from. You don't interact with Daniel Storenson Sands on a regular basis? Because I somehow have found them. Uh, oh, they, they absolutely exist. It's funny because 
He's one of those guys, and I, Nate Taylor, who covers the Chiefs for The Athletic, he's from Missouri, and his dad's a Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. And his dad is one of those guys that's been constantly trying to shift Daniel Sorensen out of town. But it's one of those that the fan base both loves him and hates him. Yes. Like, they're trying to get rid of him at every single turn, but if you ever come after Daniel Sorensen, they're going to get upset with you. He's that exact sweet spot of a player. Real Atari Big B vibes from back in the day. It's <laughs> 100% true. Um, My college roommate was a Packers fan, and he, that's exactly how he felt about Atari Big B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know the feeling. Um, is it your turn or my turn? I forget. It's my turn. So um, just Mahomes being the MVP, I think, speaks to just – I think there's going to be some passing offensive production in this game. I think that the Chiefs' offense is going to be able to do some stuff, even if the Bucks have a better plan than they did last time. Fewer single high looks in the first half, let's say. But I <laughs> – I do think that there are going to be some points in this game and that the Bucs are going to have to throw it around. I have $50 on Brady over 295 and a half passing yards at mm. minus one time. Yeah. I, I, I just think there's going to be a ton of it. And I think uh, the passing attempts is 38 and a half. Mm-hmm. I want to say I, I would like that one as well. I just think the Bucs are going to have to throw to keep up. Can you imagine if, um, you know, the Bucs show up for practice and they get to the defensive install and uh, Todd Bowles turns to Carlton Davis and he's like, yeah, listen, I know it didn't work last time, but you're going to be in man across the field on Tyreek Hill one-on-one throughout the game. Like, would you just like, is that when you start faking an injury? Like, are you just start crying in the locker room? I mean, like they just can't do that again. I, it's so funny because on our show this week, we were talking about, we did a mailbag and with me and Lindsay Jones and somebody asked about our biggest draft misses and it mm-hmm. turned into a conversation about a certain type of smaller receiver. Mm-hmm. And I said that that was the type of guy that I would have really liked and been excited about when I was younger. And now I just wouldn't spend high picks on players like that. Mm-hmm. And someone sent me an email and they're like, well, what about Tyree kill? And I just said, if you're looking for the next Tyree kill, you are going to be constantly disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that touchdown, the long one, the first time these two teams played, if you go back and you watch that play, it's an out and up, but he never slows down. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, his ability to redirect and make cuts at full speed and the quickness combined with the speed, there's no one else like him. If you just think that Tyree kills best trait is being fast, you're going to spend a lot of 10th overall picks on fast guys that never become Tyree kill. I mean, look at McCall Hardman, like, and this isn't to it's, it's exactly right. Hardman, but like not on even the same universe as Tyree kill as a receiver. You get Tyreek Hill is Nicole Hardman appreciably more valuable than Scotty Miller. No, in terms of what he gives you, no. And you can get Scotty Miller in the sixth round, and Nicole Hardman went in the second round. Mm-hmm. I think speed is a trait you can find at pretty much every level of the draft if you're just looking for speed. Mm-hmm. Figuring out the nuances between speed and somebody that can harness it is completely different. And I think that's why Tyreek Hill really is in a class all by himself when you're looking at receivers around the league. Man, and that just... played and that played into that sort of approach on defense last time. Like that's cover three. Like theoretically on that play, you should be as deep as the deepest. Mm. That shouldn't happen, mm. but he just destroys that instantly. There's just no one like him when it comes to how he affects the game. Yeah. Getting, getting deep as the deepest looks great on paper until you're up against Tyreek Hill. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, that changes. That changes things. Um, I agree. Um, you end up with a lot of Troy Williamson's and a lot of uh, burners like that. And it sure seems funny that all these players go to the Chiefs and suddenly get way better. It's weird how that happens. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Yeah, strange. Um, 
All right. I have a, you talked about all the receptions happening in this game. One guy who I think is not going to have many receptions is Ronald Jones. And I have a cross sport prop. I have $30 on Nathan McKinnon points against the blues minus 120 against Ronald Jones receptions in this game <laughs> because Ronald Jones bless his heart. I know he spent a lot of times with the judge machine this off season. The man is just not a natural receiver. And neither is their other pass catching back Leonard Fournette. So it's he, kind of a problem for them. He's better at it than Ronald Jones is. I feel like. Yes. Marginally. If, if you're, if your life came down to it, Baze, and you're throwing one swing pass to a Buccaneers running back, my guess is it's Leonard Fournette, not Ronald Jones. And you it's don't have Sean to think McCoy, about it. But he's, not McCoy. Gonna be on the field. <laughs> he's not going to be on the field. Here's um, the thing. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I have $50 on Leonard Fournette over three and a half percent. What are you talking about? Exactly. Because I just think the Bucks are the Chiefs are going to blitz a decent amount. They've blitzed Brady agree. 10 times. I think that there's going to be some outlets. They, they've looked for easy receptions to him. If you look at the numbers game by game, I mean, he's had more than three receptions or at least three receptions in most of their games in the back half of the season. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think he could get more than three and a half here with the game plan the Chiefs might have. I think he will get plenty. I am a little skeptical that Ronald Jones will get more than one. And Nathan McKinnon is a beast. He is a I have pitcher. zero idea who Nathan McKinnon is. Oh man, you would like Nathan McKinnon. It's like... Like, he is – how would I describe Nathan McKinnon? Like, do you know how sometimes you will see NFL players and they look like they don't belong on the same field as other NFL players? Sure. That is Nathan McKinnon. How big is he? He's oh, he's looking at it right now. Six foot? Six foot – put oh, six foot 200 is like a nice size for a hockey player. I, I really want to get back into hockey. I don't watch enough hockey. I've always enjoyed it. He plays for the Avalanche. I love the 90s, like early 2000s Avalanche teams. Like Peter Forsberg is my favorite hockey mm-hmm. player ever. So I, I really should get more back in, should get back into hockey a little bit more. I've always been a little disappointed in myself that I stopped watching it. Avalanche are really good. They are a fun team to watch. They beat teams like 7-2 on a regular basis. So Maybe I'll queue up some hockey here soon when the, when the season is over. I haven't been watching any NBA either. It's just... For some reason, it's just hard for me to balance. Like the NBA starts for me after the football season ends. Yes. Do you have any cross sport props though? I do not. I because no. again, I, I haven't watched enough of other sports to feel good about making any of them. I did okay. look at them though; they were intriguing to me. Okay. Um, please go ahead. Otherwise. So, ta- going back to the Brady passing yards, I absolutely could see a world, especially if the Bucks play a little bit more too high in this game, and the Chiefs have to run the ball a little bit more. It wouldn't be surprising to me if. For some reason, Brady finished with like 350 passing yards. Mahomes finished with 290, but was more efficient. So I have Brady and Kelsey as the passing and receiving yards. And we talk about how much Brady spreads the ball around everything else. So I have Brady and Kelsey as the passing and receiving yards leader. That combination is eight to one. Mm-hmm. I put 50 bucks on that. I think that the Bucks will try to limit big plays in the way because they got burned by it last time. And if they do play more too high, we've seen what case Kelsey has just eaten against those looks, especially later in the season. So that combination, I could see a version of this game where they're the ones that get the most production. I mean, do you think there is a scenario where Kelsey does not have a big game? Yes. What, what, what game script is that where that happens? Would you say the same one as last time? Where they just they want can to take attack away. down the field. Mm-hmm. 
where they where they just are able to attack down the field. I and I just don't see the Bucks allowing themselves to lose like that. That that's why it's just hard for me to imagine. I originally on my list had Tyreek Hill under 102 receiving yards, but that's just not fun to root for, so I took it off. Oh, why but, do you think I'm picking the Chiefs in this game, base? Because last year I picked the Niners and I spent the entire game having to root against Patrick Mahomes. No, which yeah, is not it's miserable. Fun. No, no, it sucks. It's, it's miserable. Yeah, that's just, I don't like doing that stuff. So that's, I think that we could see a slightly more limited game from Hill because they end up playing those two high looks and they just say, we're not going to let you beat us over the top. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then I think that you're going to see a lot of Kelsey in the same ways that you have. I mean, it, for all the Bucks talent, they are a team with issues in coverage in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Like if there are moments where Devin White has to guard Travis Kelsey, I don't think it's going to go extremely well. By the way, we mentioned a quiet game for Kelsey last time out against the Bucks. Eight, eight catches, eight targets, 82 yards. Yeah, but Tyree Kill had like 160 yards or whatever had, it was. No, 269. 269 and three <laughs> touchdowns. Oh, God. I remember the 13 catches. I thought it was 100 yards fewer. That's a great job by me. Uh, but you know what? Like, It speaks to my point, though. It does. It does. It's fair. <laughs> um, all right. So I have two more left. They're both nerdy, but I have some research behind them. So I have 50 bucks on there will not be a scoreless quarter at minus 500. So I'll be scoring in every single quarter. I went through history, went back to 2000 using the excellent stat head database at profootballreference.com. God, I bet you lose yourself in there. I could just see you just going down an hours long rabbit hole. Okay, but you know how like, like I always think about this. I don't know if I'm the most active user on profootballreference.com, but I got to be in the top five, I feel oh, like. Oh, absolutely. I would love to see that. I would love to see like a little counter with, the, mm-hmm. with all the guys who, you and Mike Sando would be like a nice little comp- competition. I would like to see that. That'd be great. I, 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 I would embrace that. I would not be embarrassed. I'd not be ashamed. You know, it would be like if, you know, if, if you go to a place so much that they recognize you, like a restaurant. Absolutely. Oh, maybe I'm doing that too much. This is the opposite. I'm super excited to be known as the ultimate power user of Stathead. One of, one of my favorite things is when you tweet out certain screenshots and all of the links are purple. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been to every single player page on Pro Football Reference. Also tells you how little I um, erase my cookies. So ready to be hacked is also part of my uh, internet strategy. So I have not no scoreless quarter, minus 500. So it's not a huge edge, but I think it's a little bit of an edge. So the implied probability here is 83.3% for the minus 500 line. And since 2000, I looked at games whose final total was in the 56 to 58 range. This is right between those two. I think it's 56 and a half right now. Um, They have not had scoreless quarters 86.7% of the time. So 86.7% of the time, every there is a score in every single quarter. So a little bit of an edge there. Rooting for scoring is fun. This is a rare opportunity to root for it and have a little bit of an edge. So I went 50 bucks on that one. I think that's totally fair. Uh, my next two are kind of connected. Okay. I had $50 on the first penalty coming on defense. It's plus 120. I just think there's going to be so much passing in this game that I could see a pass interference or a, an illegal contact, something like that. And I don't know how much noise is going to play into it. If we're going to see, you know, false starts, things of that nature. So I had fifty dollars in the first penalty coming on defense, and I had fifty dollars on pass interference being the first penalty. You can get that at eight to one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. connected to me. I mean, I, I think that makes total sense. My last one, and then you're just gonna have a stream where you just say like five. I just have two more. I have two more. That's it. Really? Oh wow. Yeah, because I connected a bunch of them. 
Thank you. That's professional podcasting right there. See, she's trying to streamline, man. So $300 for me. This is my biggest bet. Wow. Biggest bet for me. Pretty big edge here. These teams will not combine for 1,000 yards at minus 450. I know it seems like they're going to. And maybe they will. Such a wet blanket. The last one I did was just they'll be scoring in every quarter. Yeah, and then you just completely went against it. They'll be scoring. Just because they're scoring, it's going to have to be 1,000 yards, man. So I wish I could bet on there being 1,500 yards. I, I wish I could put like 20 <laughs> bucks on that at like 75 to 1. How many yards did Brady have in the Eagles game where he lost? Did he throw oh, for five? I, I, I think he threw for 500 yards in that game. I can't remember. I'm sure it was something like that. And And by the way, lost to Nick Foles. And on top of that, after that game happened, a team still hired Matt Patricia to be their head coach based on how he did uh, coordinating the defense that allowed Nick Foles to win a game where Tom Brady threw for 500 yards. By the way, 500 yards on only 28 completions. <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> That's amazing. And again, he lost. Lost in a game, by the way, where Brandon Cooks got hurt in the first quarter. God, how many big passing plays did they have in this game? 50, a 50-yard completion, a 46-yard completion to Rex Burkhead somehow, a 43-yard completion to Chris Hogan. I was at this game. I remember none of this. Three three different white receivers, not named Julian Edelman, had 100-yard games for the Patriots in this game. Amendola also had a 30-yard game. Amendola was eight for, <laughs> eight for 152. Chris Hogan, six for 128 and a touchdown. Gronk, nine, 116, two. And again, they lost. It's incredible. What a bizarre game. I was at, I was at two of the three Eagles wins in that playoffs. I was at the NFC Championship game and I was at the Super Bowl. I watched Nick Foles play a lot of football this season for a team (laughs) that I root for. It is completely incongruous that that happened, and then we've seen what happened with Nick Foles over the like the ensuing years. Can you imagine? Like, I still can't imagine it. Can, can you imagine like like seeing Doug Peterson celebrating on the field and saying, "Oh yeah, he's going to be gone in three years," and the entire Eagles fan base will be furious with him uh, as he's as he's let go. That NFC Championship game, I still think about it sometimes for a lot of reasons. One, just because. There's so many of those completions, like the one down the right sideline, I remember vividly to Alshon Jeffrey for a touchdown, mm-hmm. just like throws like that, where he was just threading the needle consistently. They were just scorching hot. And that Vikings defense was really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> like that was, that was one of the better ones they had there and watching them just get dismantled by that Eagles team. And then I remember vividly the walk home from the stadium or the walk to the train in Philly and wondering if I was going to make it out alive. I legitimately thought that the city of Philadelphia was just going to burn to the ground that day. The one play I remember from that game is Zach Ertz just obliterating Harrison Smith with like a juke. It was such a weird game. It was such a weird game. And the, the press box was shaking and everyone under the press box was banging on it. I was like, they should not allow Eagles fans in this large of groups. Like they just should have a limit on how many of them can be in the same place at the same time. Not not as genteel as Bears fans, of course, famously. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll... I, I think we're not the chillest group, but I think that Eagles fans are in a class all their own. That's entirely fair. It's entirely fair. Um, my last, so my last bet, yes, not combined for a thousand yards at minus four fifty. Implied probability is eighty one point eight percent. Went back to those games since twenty ten. Forty two of forty five. 
of those games that have been in a 56 to 58 range have gone under a thousand yards, which is 93.3%. So I think a decent edge here. And I think one that, you know, again, you want to root for short fields, you want to root for touchdowns, can still have a high scoring game without getting to 1000 yards. I think that's fair. I, I totally fair. A few, my next one, $50 on will there be a missed extra point? It's plus 250. <laughs> Harrison Butker has missed six extra points this year. I absolutely could see that missing extra point. And I was going to do it with will a missed field goal hit the upright, but it's oh, field goal, not kick. Uh-huh. So if it had been if it had been field goal or extra point, I would have done it. It's plus 310, but it's just field goal. That would be so fun to root for was the one hitting the upright. My last one, pretty simple. I have $100 on the Chiefs minus three. So that's your pick, Chiefs? Yeah. What, if you were going to pick a specific number for the Chiefs to win this game by, would it be seven? That, that, that's my, my pick is Chiefs by seven. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, yeah, I, I think that's I, fair. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I just, even given that they came up with solutions in the second half last time, where they, they did do a pretty good job of slowing down the Chiefs in the second half, it felt like they just didn't care. Like, Chiefs just didn't have to try and score all that much. Um, I, I just, like, I just don't know how you cover these guys. Like, I'm going to write about how the Falcons did it with a lot of sim pressures and tried to slow them down, but like, you just got to hope you get super lucky in the red zone. I think that's the only way you can win a game against the chiefs. Really? I think you have, you have to win up front. I mean, you have, they have to dominate on, 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 along the front four to win this game. And I don't think that's totally out of the question. Mm-hmm. Like you think about the tackles being out. I also think that you, know, you look at what they did with a lot of stunts against green Bay too. I mean, having Vea back, he's not a dominant pass rusher, but what he does is like a wrecking ball in some of those stunts and games is really valuable. And I just think that's going to be a huge part of this game is that they're going to have to crush the pocket over and over again. But on the back end, I, I totally agree with you. And you look at the way of the Bucks. I don't want to get too far into this because I haven't thought a ton about the game from like this granular perspective. But when you look at what the Bucks defense has been over the past two weeks, just how much better they've looked really being aggressive and forcing the issue and playing a bunch of man coverage and playing sticky I just don't know if you can do that against this Chiefs team. If you're going to have to sit back and play more zone, are you comfortable doing that? If there's just no good answer. I mean, that's the place that the Chiefs have reached. And I know that that might seem overly simplistic in thinking about who's going to win or lose a Super Bowl. But the idea that there is no good place to land, I think, has to be the overarching attitude when you're thinking about this. I mean, last year, the Niners were a team with a great front four that was playing at a high level, that had an awesome rushing game, and they couldn't do it. They, they did it for three quarters. Yeah. And in the fourth quarter, the Chiefs were just like, ah, yeah, no, we're going to win. And then just like accelerated past them like nothing had happened. I totally agree. And it, it just seems so silly to be like, well, they just have Patrick Mahomes. They're going to win. But it almost feels like we've reached that point. I, I just don't know how else to put it. Yeah, I would get Patrick Mahomes if I were the Buccaneers. That would be my oh, yeah? this game. That's, that's what the Jets are going to do. They're going to trade for Mahomes. That's smart. That's a solid plan. Robert Salas is going to motivate the Chiefs to make that trade. It'll be fantastic. But Robert Mays, I know we've just spent an hour talking about football, but if people want to listen to you talk about football more, where can they do that? They can do it at the on the Athletic Football Show. We have five shows coming next week. We have one every single day. Uh, a lot of the guys from the Athletic, we're going to have Shil Kapadia on. Nate Tice is going to be on a couple times. Lindsey Jones, uh, our 
Chiefs and Bucks writers, Greg Allman and Nate Taylor. And then we're going to have some people from the outside on as well. I'm really excited about what we have cooking. So if you guys want to come check that out, Monday through Friday next week, uh, we got some fun stuff on tap. We're going to run this on Monday next week, actually. So there you go. So it'll every be, day this week. It'll be this week. Um, Perfect. We, 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 you're not a Friday release. You're a Monday release. The whole week has to be ahead of us for a Robert Mays recording. Um, do you want to reveal your social media details? It's Robert Mays on Twitter. That's really all I use. I had, I'm not sure that there's much value in any of the other ones. <laughs> it's never stopped anyone else before. Um, well, you know how I feel, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Always, uh, but anytime. I will, I, will, uh, I will try to encourage someone to check up on these props, and then I'll yell at you about them on Twitter if I'm winning. I mean, I didn't do any like mathematical research on any of them. It was all based on feel, which you know, <laughs> I guess that's just as good. That is probably the best way to go about it. But Robert Mays, it's always a pleasure. Good to talk to you, buddy. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to me ramble on with my friend Robert Mays for an hour. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We have another show coming later this week. Yes, a two-show week for the Super Bowl. Going to be talking about the game from a more X's and O's perspective with a couple of former pros. So hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope you guys enjoyed the show later this week. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl, of course and more audio on the way. So thanks so much for listening.